Hey, it's Seeking Plum. Where is the line? When would you feel that someone had crossed it and stole a thought or an idea, something of yours that you had created? This could pertain to work or here on Anchor or maybe elsewhere. And if they do cross that line, how does it make you feel? I can't remember where or when I first heard her say it, but Georgie D talks about art informing art. Where an artist may appreciate a technique or a method or something specific about a work of art and decide to incorporate that into their own artistry. But still, the final piece is something of their own. It's kind of like taking these new things mixed with the things that were already there and putting them into that personal artist's blender and coming up with a new result. I think it's fair to say that ideas also inform ideas. Without reading books or interacting with each other or having all of these different intersecting points in our lives, we wouldn't have an opportunity to challenge our own ideas and to, to pick up new ones and to reshape the ones we currently have. But when I asked you about someone crossing the line and taking your idea or your thought your work of art, this isn't exactly what I had in mind. It's really that fuzzy area in between. When is it yours and when has it been made new? And really how do you define new? I think this first example is pretty straightforward. An artist paints a masterpiece and they let it speak for itself. Artist number two takes the masterpiece and presents it as their own and goes on to explain the paints, tools, and techniques that they used. Straight up, I think most of us would say taking somebody else's painting and slapping our name on it is pretty well theft. But would you consider it something new since the artist included the process and the tools and techniques? I'd still argue no. The second artist did not learn anything from the first and then apply it to their own craft. This one's a little more nuanced. A speaker presents ideas and conclusions they've come to based on anything from the trivial to the more esoteric to the studious. And because this speaker makes a lot of appearances, patterns begin to emerge and listeners can follow the progression in thought. Speaker B also makes a lot of appearances and so has lots of listeners. Speaker B takes an idea or conclusion from speaker A changes the wording a bit and presents it as their own. But, although one of them might be a jumping off point, or several of them might be foundational stones to the presentation, the speaker piles on various sources, studies, books, well-known names, sprinkled in with a few opinions. See, I think this one is a little more complicated because Speaker B's presentation is different from Speaker A's, almost in its entirety. And I think if there was a discussion between the two, it would, have been, it would be a he said, he said, or she, she, he, she, you know what I mean. But my question is, in this example, are we witnessing an idea informing an idea? Did Speaker B come up with new thinking? a new way of seeing whatever this topic is. 
So I'm going to muddy the waters a bit. This is a quote from Oliver Goldsmith, who was an Irish novelist, playwright, and poet who lived from 1728 to 1774. He's speaking about a passage by another Irish novelist by the name of Lawrence Stern. Stern's writings, in which it is clearly shown that he whose manner and style were so long thought original, was in fact the most unhesitating plagiarist who ever cribbed from his predecessors in order to garnish his own pages. It must be owned, at the same time, that Stern selects the materials of his mosaic work with so much art, places them so well, and polishes them so highly, that in most cases we are disposed to pardon the want of originality, in consideration of the exquisite talent with which the borrowed materials are wrought up into the new form. So what do you think? Do you pardon Speaker B? The presentation is mighty titillating. Did you know that although plagiarism is often thought to be theft or stealing, that in the legal sense that concept doesn't exist? There are no statutes or laws, but fraud is another matter. And just because there aren't any legal ramifications, it doesn't mean you can't lose your job or have other consequences. Typically, it boils down to a moral offense. I think the reason that laws do not exist around the idea of plagiarism is because they would be too difficult to enforce or even to form court cases around. If art informs art and ideas inform ideas, then who's to say what really is original and what's been plagiarized? It would come down to opinions of each side and trying to determine intention and that is really difficult to prove one way or the other. So if you think someone has legitimately stolen an idea or your piece of art, what do you do? Although I've witnessed blatant plagiarism several times over the years, I don't know that I have any hard and fast answers. Do you out-create, out-present, out-perform? Do you complexify your work? You may suggest speaking directly to the suspect, but in my experience, that doesn't usually go over well, no matter how you present it. And will the consequences or fallout be worth it? I think the greater questions are, does it matter? Does it matter if someone steals an idea steals a thought. There's nothing new under the sun, right? And if it does matter, why does it matter? Hmm, I wonder if these answers and perspectives will be different based on gender. How each would address being plagiarized, whether it matters or not, and why it matters. I may have more thoughts on this later, but for now, I think I'm going to leave it here. I would really love to hear your thoughts on any and all of this. So please give me a shout. Good morning, Seeking Plum. I just wanted to sit, chime in on this segment, and I think it's very important in one aspect but and then another it's kind of like i don't know what to say so the thing that i'm thinking about like when you're talking about the person with the idea you know and then someone comes along and tries to basically coin it to be their own yeah it would probably make me upset and it's like what can you do about it but the only thing you can do 
is to remain authentic and to be the expert of whatever that idea is. Now, no matter how much the other person tries to fake it, they'll never really truly be able to conceptualize that idea in its most perfect sense. They may try to copy it, but people will be able to sort through. And it's been shown and exampled many times in this world, you know? So that's what I think. So plagiarism is something I do know about. I work in the legal industry and I constantly see other attorneys and other legal staff Uh plagiarize things without proper citation. Then I think about how it applies out into the regular world, like news and media, and there's constant plagiarism. And I remember going through school that you had to cite everything and it was so critical, but it just seems like the consequence of plagiarism doesn't exist. You're right. I tried looking it up. There's nothing, but there is such as fraudulent um, art, arts of work or arts of, uh, of industry and that can affect things. So anyway, but my question is, is like, are we more offended that it, our work is stolen or are we offended that we didn't get it out sooner? You know, that sometimes plays into it all. Well, that's what I think. Good morning, Jason. And to the little nugget, uh, presumably sitting there on your lap, you've hit on some great points that I've seen ring true as well. And that is, uh, partially you know the focus on being an expert in whatever that idea or or area is and being authentic people do end up sorting it out it may take some time but they do end up you know finding sifting through and and finding what's really there regarding your second call uh you know i think it really comes down to timing right If the person hasn't put the idea or concept or whatever it is out yet, then I could see it being a a question of whether there is more concern over the, the regret or whether the idea was stolen. And I would tend to lean towards the regret, which I'm thinking you might too. But if the idea, concept, whatever it is, was already put out there, then I think the regret doesn't play a role in any way. If I felt someone had stolen something from me, I, I waffle back and forth, like how much of this is my ego that I need to let go of, and how much of this is, you know, how, do I need to stop rolling over when this happens and I need to stand up for myself? And then is it really that important to plant a flag? You know, and to what end? I think more than anything, what I would want is someone to say, you know, I I heard her say this, or we talked and she said this, or we talked and this is what we talked about, or whatever, right? Some reference to have said that this was something they learned from or took away from, you know, something they heard or we conversed about. Because then I feel like it's, there's some sort of respect there, some, some mutual respect there, some acknowledgement for whatever idea that is. But I suppose that is assuming that there is some sort of, of relationship or friendship between 
myself and this other person and some sort of mutual respect and and that doesn't always happen you know that's that's not necessarily the case so I think there's a lot of different factors that would have to be uh, filled in for this scenario to be better looked at thank you for your thoughts and for for opening the path of, of thinking for me. Christina at Seeking Plum, this is Reggie, your weekend watcher. And I was listening to your segments on plagiarism and morality, and it related a lot to some, some back and forth I've had with Rob from the Mandolin Minute about uh, was a copyright and music, uh, where I, I have turned the corner on a lot of, uh, a lot of the ideas of ownership and thought properties. And I'll use my station uh, here on Anchor as an example. When anybody listens to me, there's very little, like almost nothing in the original realm, uh, meaning the, the format that I use, I've actually taken from other podcasts that I, I enjoy, as well as stations here on, uh, on Anchor that I am a fan of. When it comes to the material, like my subject matter for each week, uh, none of that's original. I didn't make that. Uh, nor are my ideas anything I would call unique. So although I am unoriginal, I wouldn't call myself, or what I do is necessarily theft, because I'm not depriving anybody of necessarily anything in fall. In fact, what I'm doing more often than not is presenting something to a wider audience than, uh, than previously imagined. And what's interesting is that my approach stays above the fray when it comes to legal content, but when it comes to moral, we can, we can debate all day uh, where I stand morally. Uh, and I don't have any problem with that. Well, those are just some thoughts from, you know, a guy that's living in the moral gray area. You do the thing. Hey, Reggie. You know, I think you have more original content than you realize. So I think that the format that you say you've taken from, you know, others around to anchor and so on, I think you've made that your own. So I would say that's art informing art. And by what I mean is not the structure so much, right? Because structure is structure. But if we look at your interludes, you personally created those. Those, those are art. And then you have a couple of what I, I consider catchphrases. You prefer to be more kind than clever. You do the thing. So, okay, let's pretend that there is a station out there on Anchor that covers movie reviews, TV reviews, and talks about pop culture. How would you feel if they said things like they prefer to be more kind than mm, smart or you do the thing? And then if they attempted to redo your interludes themselves, so the wording isn't exactly the same and the interludes are going to be slightly different because they're doing it and not you, but you're the one who had them first. You're the one who created them first. Do you feel no ownership for those? Would it bother you to hear someone else using your phrases or similar phrases? Like, do you think it would give people the impression that you stole it from them rather than the other way around. Like if their station blew up and uh, people heard their station first uh, and, and then what, what's the impression? Like how, how would that make you feel? And what would your approach be? 
And back to one of the earlier questions, does it even really matter that they stole it? Oh, we are seeking plum, aren't we? So, here's a few answers. First off, the quote that I use, do the thing, my sign-off, I actually take that in whole from the animated series Legend of Korra, one of those things that comes back over and over. Like, there was a character that said, Julie, do the thing. I looked at that as his uh, As You Wish from, you know, The Princess Bride. It was also a wacky character, and I loved it. Uh, and also, I prefer to be more kind and clever. Actually, I have taken that almost entirely from the rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, who he was, he's really noted for saying when he was young, he, he admired clever people. And now that he is old, uh, he admires kind people. He's, he's passed away now. As for other people on Anchor that review, you know, that review shows that do rundowns on shows and movies, I've actually reached out with a lot of them because I want to, there's so much out there right? There's just so much to do and I can't cover it all. I do essentially one title a week uh, and I don't have the time and I would love to do a team up with them. It's just schedules haven't worked out. I've done a lot of scheduling work in the last two months. Schedules just haven't worked out where I could, where we could produce something and put it on their station and then maybe echo it back to mine or, and, and vice versa. Because I want to talk about popular things from time to time, but I don't. That was also why I reached out to Summer Noseki about um, the, the Godzilla. She's a Japanophile. I am not. I figured I was missing something there. Uh, so, yeah, that's just a little bit of me. And, again, the, the thievery runs rich <laughs> on my side. You do the thing. Okay, Reggie. So what I think you're telling me is anybody can copy just about anything from you, and you would not see it as plagiarism. Have I got that right? So if you were creating something you perceived to be more original, and let's say I took it and I portrayed it as my own, I could say that I was giving it to a wider audience. Legally, there are no consequences. Morally, that's pretty messed up, at least in my opinion. So I'm trying to pull it away from the specifics because I think maybe I made a mistake in taking it down that road. So that's why I'm vaguely asking, like if you had something you felt was original and someone took that from you, you know, what what would be your perspective on that? But I'm, I'm guessing that although I'm asking this question in a different way, maybe I already have your answer and I'm baffled by it. I don't know what that says about me. I, I just, I don't understand. Anyway, uh, uh, thank you. You are a dubious character and a conundrum all wrapped up into one. Well, you're welcome. Yes, I did have my, my two and a half month old in my lap. We were just getting up and we were enjoying our morning. And I was listening to your segment. But I also just made a post about legacy. And it kind of ties in a little bit to what you're saying. You know, you want feel the plant of flag and nowadays everyone is out for themselves but the sense of community and giving to the community and yet having your own identity and your own works so that they're not stolen or abused or you know the credit I think that's really uh, it's ordering the line of ego of your your thought of whatever created what you 
intended, you know, and when someone comes along and capitalizes it, you know, kind of makes you mad. But then it also goes to that saying, like, you know, keep your plans secret. Anyhow, uh, I'm on the road, so, yeah. Aww, congrats on your two-and-a-half-month-old. I think you're right. There is a lot of everyone out for themselves, and that affects our ability to collaborate. And even when people do collaborate, that they're not honest collaborations. Still, it's everyone out for themselves. You know, what can I get out of this? I think a part of the reason why it's so threatening to have someone, you know, steal something or or take it as their own is because what is it that we can say is our own? Like, what makes up our sense of self? Anyone can have the same name as us, but it's pretty hard to have the same face and and then it comes down to what we create, whether that's with our hands or uh, with our thinking. Because let's face it, not all of us are talented when it comes to creating with our hands. So maybe if someone is taking an idea and portraying it as their own, it's as if they are taking a piece of us. Or at the very least, that's how you know part of us sees it. I think you may have described it as the border between the ego and identity, and I, I, that's a great way of putting it. I also think that there is some merit to secrecy, as you said, but to some extent that goes out the window when it comes to uh, creating art or, you know, being a presenter or, you know, something of these natures where you are creating something to put it out into the public. You might keep it secret before it goes out, but once it goes out, it's out. I was just thinking, if we look at Anchor, I wonder how many people would say they felt like they've been plagiarized and how many people feel like there's nothing that they create that is original. So if someone did copy them, they wouldn't have issue with it. I said or, but I'm sure that there are other perspectives out there as well. Anyway, thanks for taking the time to give me a call while you were driving, Jason. Hey, Seek and Plum, my friend. Positive Vibes here. I'm calling in regards to your uh, question and your topic about ideas, theft, plagiarism, things of that nature. Overall, I believe if it's in some way, I don't care how small possibly, different, I believe that it's okay. Now, does it always make it right? No, because we don't know the individual's intention all the time, right? Uh, if someone is open and say they don't care and they're doing it, then we know. But at the end of the day, if someone is trying something different, even while using someone else's uh, material or content or whatever it might be, I feel like it's okay. As long as they are trying, right, to do something. Uh, even if it's to the point of trying to get some attention to figure to find out what they're all about. Um, you know, last example I'll give is just like a DJ, right? It's music, but what are they doing? They're taking the songs and making it their own, I guess. Hey, Positive Vibes, thanks for calling. So as long as there's at least a little bit of change, no matter how small, and circumstances matter. So for instance, if the person's trying to find their way and this isn't something they're doing on a regular basis, month in and month out, or year in and year out, right? 
but they're doing it sort of in an exploratory fashion. Part of me can understand that perspective and I would like to leave room for something like that, but when do we decide that it's no longer acceptable? I mean, obviously you said no change is too small, so we won't look at that. But what if the person isn't trying to find their way? They just want to use somebody else as a stepping stool in order to gain notoriety of some kind, or maybe even financial benefit of some kind. Or what if they've hit writer's block or artist block and they then begin using somebody else's work as a crutch and they get so reliant on it, they never work their way out of that block. Yeah, you're right, we can't determine intention, but we can look at how long something is going on. We can look at whether there are any changes in how they are developing as an artist or as someone within their particular craft. Not that determining plagiarism is unacceptable is going to change the outcome necessarily, but uh, maybe it can uh, flavor our perspective on the topic. Any thoughts? Hey Seeking Plum, it's Alan with Sentient Future. So it's a really interesting topic today about uh, plagiarism and the like, thank you for bringing it up. So one of the things that, uh, I don't know if it's a bit snarky or what have you, but let's say it is on social media, you could um, you could share their content and be like, you know, thanks for reiterating my um, my thoughts on this, and you know also link to maybe a, a previous version of the of that same content that you put out there, and you know in a way like it gives them exposure, but exposure for what um, they have put out, and it kind of lets other people determine what to make of it. What do you think is giving someone the exposure they're looking for? fair? Or is that a bit too extreme? Interesting, interesting, Alan. I think this one is sticky. If the plagiarizer has no shame, they have no guilt, and they will not fess up to what they've done, then maybe a public shaming is an option. But the flip side of it, I think, is that when that option is taken, the person who does the public shaming is also opening themselves up to being scrutinized. So not only is your claim valid, is it valid enough, whatever that means, is your material the best, or has the plagiarizer improved upon it in some way that people find it more palatable for whatever reason? And like, what kind of blowback are you going to receive by doing all of that? How will it affect your brand or your product or, you know, whatever it is that, you, that you're putting out there, even if it's just your name? I mean, if we go back and look at the example of Speaker A and Speaker B, is, is there really any way that Speaker A could make a claim about Speaker B and have you know, social media on any platform support Speaker A and say, yeah, they really stole your idea. The wording was changed, some sources were added as further bricks on top of those foundational ideas, and some opinions were added in there, and it essentially looks like a brand new wall, right? 
If it was more straightforward, more blatant, then I think it could be brought into the public, you know, venue for deliberation. As far as whether a public shaming is too drastic or not, I'm of the opinion that if you do something that you know you shouldn't do, and you do it again and again and again, and you don't care, knowing that either the person you stole from or somebody else who witnesses your work could possibly call you out and still you persist, well then you kind of open the door to social media weighing in. And as for sharing the plagiarizer's work, I think that comes back to, again, whether the person who created the original work wants to open that door. I don't know, I kind of think it's a mixed bag. But it is a potential uh, tool in the toolbox I had uh, forgotten about. Thanks, Alan. All right, so let me try to handle this question broadly using a type of art as an example. I'll use like fashion, not because I'm super fashionable, but just so you know, I'm wearing a three-piece suit with a monocle and a top hat. In the fashion world, it is, it's accepted already that in order to be relevant, you must be copied. And people must slap their name on essentially the same thing that you've done. And we have no moral objections, or at least I've heard no moral objection uh, based on that. However, if we do this in writing or in music, it seems like it should be uh, an issue. And in writing and, and music, this seems like it should be the death of the artist, but the artist in, in design has flourished uh, because of the same issue. Uh, and, and to be honest, it's new to writing and music. Uh, go back just a you know, a hundred years or a couple hundred years and reproducing your art is what kept you alive. If not for Mendelssohn, we would have forgotten Bach. And that is, again, part of, honestly, part of that's just distribution. Um, but our morality is kind of, it's moved into a gray area in this respect. Well, that's my time. You do the thing. Reggie is looking spiffy. Okay, you sound like you're looking spiffy, and I wish, I wish I could see a picture. Okay, these are topics I know very little about. If we look at fashion, I think some of this, these ideas still apply. You can't legally sell knockoffs and say that they are the real deal. And then some of the higher-end designs do come to the more accessible stores, but not before that design is... is has been out for a while and then it is purchased and redesigned slightly so that it's more economical and can be sold to you know the average Joe and Jane. But I don't think you can just take a, a high-end design and copy it and pass it off as your own. And I'm not even going to address uh, Mendelssohn and Bach because I, I don't even know. I think looking at copying way back in the day when it was done for redistribution is something completely different. Those copiers were never attempting to pass it off as their own work. They may have said, you know, this is so-and-so's work and I am the copier. I think that that was done at one time. But anyone attempting to recreate Leonardo da Vinci's work and pass it off on their, as their own that that would not fly. 
not then and not now. I'd say things may have been a bit more gray then than they are now, and partly because we have more advanced techniques, more uh, technology and advanced methods to do all sorts of kinds of of duplicating or copying or morphing of someone's work, whatever medium that might be in. So trying to establish originals versus, you know, plagiarized works really becomes a more focused endeavor now than ever. I don't really know how they treated word and idea way back, whether we're talking Martin Luther in the 1400s or Socrates in the 400s BC, but I'm pretty sure that there are several people in our history books that would have liked that their ideas stood at the time and that they were attributed to them and not someone else. But really, that's speculation. Like, I don't have anything to base that on except, you know, some, some things I've read and have surmised about their personalities and some of their thinking, but I don't know. I, and I haven't caught up on the idea of plagiarism or copying or theft of ideas throughout history either. Anyway, some interesting ideas there, Reggie. Thanks. And if you're feeling so inspired, I think several people would love to see you in your three-piece suit, monocle, and your tap Oh, you're welcome. Hey, you know, um, Plato had wrote, written about Socrates and this, this personal thought of craftsmanship. He basically talks that a man can only have one craft one true craft in the world and whether we like it or not there's going to be many other craftsmen that maybe all do like work like us or almost the same as us or maybe better but the one thing that I take from it all and I say to myself every day there will never be another Jason like me there will never be a, a creative you know spiteful exciting exaggerated a bold person like me and I'm going to make the best of what I am and the best version of me every day. Well, that's my little segment. Hey, I love talking to you. I love these segments. I love the discussion. One of the calls I received today on this topic was a private message. So I'm not going to reveal to you who called unless they step forward and say it's okay. But in this call, the person said a couple of things that really stood out to me. One, how much is immortality worth? Two, and is it about that thing or about you, the creator? And three, it's difficult to take something out of a distinctive body of work and try to make it one's own. It'd be like trying to take some of Shakespeare's sonnets, tweak a few of the words, and then try to pass it off as something of my own. It just doesn't work. Anyway, I hope the caller doesn't mind. I thought that these points were valuable to the discussion. At the very least, they were helpful to me in formulating some perspectives on this topic. So thank you uh, to you, and I will, I will uh, leave it to you if you decide to step forward.
Well, hello, hello, Seeking Plum. I do believe I was quoted in the very beginning of this discussion. And yes, you and I have talked about this before several times. I have seen people on Anchor directly copy my style and things that I do. And I've seen it. And at, in the beginning, I'm not that happy about it, to be honest. I'm like, what? They just totally copied that thing that I do. And then afterwards, I think, you know what? I'm producing audio on a public platform and I have literally no copyright over that audio except that my voice is in it. So, and I've always talked about copy left. I think that everything should be shared and I, I've always enjoyed the idea of art informing art. And like Jason said, you can't swap people out. You can't reproduce a person. Whatever we do is original because we are that person. So somebody else on Anchor might say, oh, I really like, you know, this particular technique and this little shtick that Georgie's got going so I'm going to borrow that and make it my own well good on them you know like if that's what they want to do that's what they're going to do and I really don't think I could or should do anything about it unless I'm close to that person and we have a relationship and a friendship and then we can talk about it that's a different thing so it is a very very muddy water but I think it comes back down to People are originals and you can't carbon copy them no matter how much you try. And we just have to do us, right? Isn't that what all the millennials say? Just do you. Okay, I think you've had lots of men on your station today, so I had to end it with a femme fatale. Jodidi, over and out. Yeah, back again. Haven't quite finished. You know, I've just been having a little ponder in my big insidey inside brain, little thinky think. And it reminds me of some things that happened to me at work. I have created projects and designed courses that were completely original, my idea entirely. And then other people in other departments of the same institution have copied those projects for students. And that's fine with me because I think, yeah, it was a good idea. It's a great technique to teach people and this will help people so I'm more than happy for people to take that model and say we're going to reproduce it over here. But one time these two lecturers copied everything about it, even the subject matter. So then we had two courses running consecutively teaching the same thing in a very very similar style. So I went to the heads of both departments who I know really well because I've been in this institution for a long time and I said, why did you allow this to happen? Because these two courses will be competing against each other and students will be confused. They'll think, well, why is that course there and this one over here? And essentially, they're exactly the same. Why are you running two courses? And they tried to throw logic at me and say, well, this is slightly different and that's slightly different. And I, at the end of the day, I had to accept that the, the managers were happy to do that. And it did cause problems for students. So I had to explain to students over and over again the difference between the two courses without being damning of the other teachers because I want to be positive about my institution. At the end of the day, I want to sell a good product to the students. So I had to work extra hard to find the differences between the two courses so that I could sell both courses. Because my ultimate goal is to facilitate learning for students. It's not to war with other lecturers. At that time, these two other lecturers didn't have any industry training in the industry area in which I'm an expert. And they came to me and they said, can you teach us your skills? And I said, no, outright no. I have 
25 years of experience in an industry and you want me to download that into you over two days for no cost, no benefit, no shout out, no props, nothing, just because I should do that for you because we work for the same institution. And they said, yes, we want you to do that. And I said, no, I'm not going to. I was astounded at the cheek of them saying, we've copied your course and we want you to help us. <laughs> I was just absolutely flabbergasted. So they went to this other hospitality lecturer, who is my friend, who I actually collaborated with when he arrived at the college. People were very antsy about him because he was so skilled and so experienced and very popular. And I just went straight to him and said, I like you, I like your work, I want to work with you. And we've been working together ever since, three and a half years. And he's what I call my work husband. And we collaborate because we are hospitality industry. And hospitality people know what teamwork really is. They know how to help each other and not compete. And he ended up teaching these other two lecturers the skills they wanted, but he wasn't happy about it. And when he found out that they'd already approached me and I said no, he was like, damn, I should have said no as well. Now, these two teachers are teaching this course and this, it's a good course and the students are doing great. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Another time though, another object in this discussion comes up now to think about. I have lots of fingers and lots of pies in the institution I work for. I've worked for many different departments and I've got a very broad skill set. Therefore, I've got a lot of knowledge that I can share with other people. Part of my job is about doing this. I actually get a certain award level in my job to help other people. And I have volunteered to help other people. I've handed over courses to my colleagues and trained them basically in my own time because I liked these people and I worked well with these people. One of these people, a lady, who I'm still friends with, um, I taught her everything she knew about this particular project she had to take over and I wasn't asked to. I offered to do this. I volunteered to do this because I liked her and I wanted to support her and help her succeed. She did succeed. And when she finished this project off, she did this huge speech thanking everybody who had helped her. And she mentioned everybody's name except for me. And I was in the room, and I had spent two hours every week with her, more time than anybody else had spent with her helping her. And I was, again, flabbergasted. But I don't think she did it on purpose. I think, and the same with these other lecturers, they're innocently, ignorantly aware of using other people. And that's why I'm still her friend. And even though other people came to me and said, she's passing off your work as her work, I said, who cares? You know, at the end of the day, I have a reputation in my institution for being skilled, knowledgeable, collaborative, creative, innovative, and good to work with. I have this reputation. It stands alone. Everybody knows the skill sets that I'm an expert in, and nothing these other people do can change that. So it brings it back to that we can't carbon copy people theory. Hey Georgie, you know, as yesterday passed and then I've had time to sleep and now I woke to hear your calls, I feel like there was this common thread that was weaving throughout and you've gathered it together, at least in my mind anyway, that in this messy topic, what it's really about is who we are, our reputation and the quality of work that we put out and those who consume it. So instead of focusing on what was taken, we focus on the bounty that we have. 
we create and we offer, and those who this gift is for. It's a shifting of mindset from ownership to giving. No one else can be us or create like us, and creating quality is like creating that distinctive body of work. Thank you for sharing your experiences and your perspectives on this. And that that goes for everyone who's called in. I really, truly appreciate that you've taken the time to call in and to talk with me about this. It's been interesting and it's helped to move my thinking forward. And I'm always, always appreciative of that. So thank you for being a part of that. Hello, Seeking Plum. Hello, Jason. Hello... Hello everybody, I'm afraid I can't uh, remember everybody's name, I've listened to everything here and I came here in relation to plagiarism, theft and all that, that topic because Georgie D told me what she'd been doing this morning and said that she'd listened to everything that was going on over here and I thought I'd chip in with one uh, thought of my own <laughs> well, do I even own this thought? That's what I comes to me. And where did I get this thought? I write poetry, and for as many years as I can remember, I've been longing for somebody to take a poem of mine, publish it somewhere, and say it is theirs. In other words, I've been hoping that would happen. Why am I so keen to have one of my poems uh, stolen? and uh, represented as being somebody else's work. I think it is because I would love to go and see them and, and publicize what they've done and uh, congratulate them on having the courage to take the risk that they might be exposed in the court of public opinion as a fraudster and their ability to yes their ability to tell a public lie with panache I think I'd like that because I'm a writer and I could write about them I could interview them I could write a poem about them yeah I think that's one of the things I haven't done yet thanks for calling Paul you know this is a very fascinating perspective it's one that never crossed my mind, using the situation as creative inspiration. Because it sounds like you have several different ideas for what you would do with, you know, this type of scenario. Okay, Paul, I'm gonna lob you a challenge. <laughs> it is up to you whether you choose to accept or not. What about writing or creating around a fictional plagiarist then you don't have to wait for something that may not happen and you can throw in some you know bits and pieces that you might want to some creative um, garnishes if you will I'd be very curious to read that poem or that interview <laughs> how you've got me doing some of my own thinking Thanks for calling in, Paul. You've got a few more I am, I'm going to publish shortly. As regards T.S. Eliot, uh, the poet who wrote The Wasteland and uh, 
which is uh, a poem I like an awful lot, and uh, other uh, other uh, uh, magnificent poems. He um, he wrote a collection of literary criticism in 1920, or published in 1920, called The Sacred Wood, and here I quote from it. Immature poets imitate, mature poets steal, bad poets deface what they take, and good poets make it into something better, or at least something different. That's what I was thinking of.